think we're good? Do you think we're good? I think Let me good. spit this rap from the Get hood. It. See, I'm finna Go do in. my thing on this cast. Uh. I got my guest, K-Love. She's the best. Uh. That didn't rhyme, but it's cool, though. I, I have faith. I was gonna say she's a blast. I was, but then I was like, I wanted to say best. I want Because blast is just, like, fun. But, like, I wanted to give her, like, <laughs> something else. Then, <laughs> you know? All right. So... I'm I'm spitting these lyrics something like this. Uh, In my shit, I try not to diss. Uh, try to focus on the bigger picture. Uh, I guess I should have thought of a word that's going to rhyme with picture before I decided to use picture. Uh, All right, I'm going to let you rap now because you got <laughs> skills to do this shit. You a poet. I don't have skills to rap. No. I mean, I do got skills, but see, my version of rapping, because I be winning rap battles and shit, but let me tell you how I do it. I just repeat it. the same words. So if somebody and you got to just say it, and, and, and you, your stance after you say the word got to be hard, Exactly. Though. You, you feel like, me? I woke up in the morning, and I went to the stove. <laughs> exactly. You got to pull you back You just got to pull, and you got to have, exactly, that's what I'm saying. So I went a gang of rap battles just because of that. And just let them do it for you, because they're going to be like, oh. Oh, she, she went so to the dope. Stove. She went exactly. To the stove. I went to the stove. And at the stove, I did what I do at the stove. Ooh. Yo, yo. It's on fire. It's on fire. They're not ready, sir. They're not ready. They're not ready. They're not, they're not ready, ready for me going to the stove. They don't, they're not ready. Gotta think root word. Store. More. More. Four. I went to the store. She said uh, root word. I need more apples. So I went to get more. Uh, what do yeah. I do? There's apples on the floor. Oh, oh. yeah. Lisa B in the building spitting yes, that. Yes, yes. Spitting that real, real. I Man. Yeah, you doing the most right now. <laughs> Let me see how these photos look, though. <laughs> she be doing a straight full on photo <laughs> shoot, G. <laughs> I want to thank our sponsors, She Funny, a platform created to encourage funny women of color to be empowered in their funny by offering various resources and online visibility. And also our friends here at Cards Against Humanity for their hospitality and donated studio space. I appreciate you both. I just don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> Reading is fundamental. You know what I like? But I'm, I'm a more... Surprise. No, no, no. I'm an in-person person. Like, if you, if you have a message to communicate to me... The absolute best way is to call me. Yeah, I take just... in I take inf information in via hearing much better, <laughs> and it, I retain it like that. That's just how I am. Don't give me that bullshit. That's I why swear. you ain't read my goddamn email. <laughs> I don't need no emails though. That's the funny thing. Like typically, Tell me, see, you know what? I just hear better. You know what I mean? I'm just a better hearer. <laughs> I typically like my 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 assistant. Like typically, if I'm doing something business wise, all of my emails go to her, and she she reads through the emails and then tells me what the email. Then where did my email go? Your email went to my personal account. See, you shouldn't have did that. But see, I, I didn't want to, I don't know why I did that. I should have did that. You she, wanted to keep it personal. I feel me, you, though. She'd have told me everything that the email said, and we'd have been fine. You wanted to keep it personal, and I appreciate that. Yeah. I appreciate exactly you wanting to be personal and connected to me in a deeper way via your personal email versus your assistant. But people don't read, apparently. This has happened before. <laughs> 
You know what? I don't know. Some people do. Like my last guest that I had on, uh, well, not my last, my, my one before my last, I said something about reading the email. And she was like, oh, I read the email thoroughly. Thank you so much for sending all of that. Aww. She's like, I appreciate when people break down exactly what's going to go on. And I know that it's a kind of a long email, but it's just I want you to get a, a good understanding of what the show is. It's, it's, a, it's like Kelly Talks is about keeping it 100 you know it's about I read that yeah it's about keeping it all the way 100 so you can come on air and you can say something and you can renege on that and be like you know what I didn't even mean to say that I meant to say and you can explain yourself and mm-hmm. you can you can do whatever you want to do and just feel free to that this is a no judgment zone and the reason why I make the show like that is because I really really want people to open up and be their authentic selves so that we can see that part of people versus mm-hmm. the the part, part that we're seeing on online and shit. Mm-hmm. Right, because we're so much deeper and we're so much more complicated than uh, that one-dimensional version that people have of us. And, and I think the only way that we can really grow and become better as people is to know that we're not in this shit alone. We all go through some of the same shit. So it sounds like you're... Podcast is like my life. <laughs> like my life. That's kind of how I like. Even my social media, I'm very, very, very transparent. I'm very, very open. I tend to not be. Guard- I'm not a guarded kind of person. Mm-hmm. Just in general, I'm kind of. Yeah. This is what it is. This is if I make a mistake, I'm okay with saying I made a mistake. If you know whatever. So I'm typically just like that in general. That's why you're sitting across from me right now. That is why you are here. That voice you guys are hearing is Kay Love, the poet. She is a phenomenal woman. She travels the world doing poetry. You may have seen her on TV, uh, Deaf Poetry Dram. You may have seen her um, hosting an event. You may have seen her hosting a workshop as she teaches workshop for underprivileged children, teaching them self-worth and how to love their self. This woman is amazing. And before we get into her story, I want you guys to hear one of her poems. So check this out. My skin is rich. I got that million dollar melanin. I'm talking about the deep chocolate that the prophets be dreaming about selling in. Every element is elegant. It's effortless. No need for embellishment. I'm coated in a coat of coal and my black hole be black gold. Black. Bold. No lighting on my photo. No, make it dark. Naked like tree bark. And yes, my bite is vicious. But please don't compare me to no bad bitches. I'm indigenous. El Kebalon, no Revelon, no silicon in my tush. I'm cute in my cush. I'm the aftermath of the burning bush. You see me every time you close your eyes and make a wish. I'm that dark licorice. I mean that dark miss natural. No Remy, my hair natural. No Remy or Yaki. I get happy when they call me nappy or blacky. Cause wearing nothing at all. I be the belly of the ball wherever I fall. While they steady hacking, they lacking. Self-confidence. I tell them, dark and lovely. Nothing of me ugly. The sun loves me. My sons love me. I'm the same color of the streets they be hugging. I understand them and understand them both ways. I cause the dark age and I'm black power and so much more. And that's more spelled with two O's and no E. And if you know anything about me, you already know I put the Hue and Huey P. I was the inspiration for the activists, the blackest fist. F what a pigment. They ain't F with my pigment I'm the tenant type with the inner light the demo daughter I wrote this poem for my great-grandmother 
who used to put bleach in her grandbaby's bath water. She told my mother to scrub harder, thinking that the black would come off maybe. Self-hatred is crazy. They call my mama a tar baby, but I'm that star, star baby. The morning star made me, Oshun made me well done. And well done again. Kudos to my kin for making sure I was proud of my skin tone so I never got hung up on any Willie Lynch syndrome. You're red wrong. I'm confident. Headstrong, nothing but love for my sisters they call red bone. I'm just a black stallion that be styling and I be dressing like I own a thousand islands. They asked me, they asked me what I do and who I do it for. I told them I do it for the woman that told my mother when she was 11 that she was too dark to rock those sterling silver earrings she just got. See, my mother grew up Cajun in an age when, to be considered beautiful, you had to resemble a Caucasian. Crazy how somebody's conversation consecrated my mother's color, color complex, complex, coded in their context. But somebody should have gave them contacts, because last I checked, every color goes with black. As a matter of fact, Every now and again, I rock some red lipstick. And I do it for the idiot that said it doesn't blend well with dark skin, but he gets lost in the heat of the evening. Every time he sees me wear it at an even, he's heated and fiending for Hershey's kisses. He heard she kisses like strawberries covered in silhouettes. I'm secure on my shadow. Nothing but teeth and eyes. I'm the tea kettle, the black widow, divorce and beauty, European eyes. They asked me what I do and who I do it for. I told them. I do it for my little chocolate covered mentee. A little girl draped in the same rich skin as me, but for some reason she still feels empty. And that's when I told her, baby girl, your skin, that's your inheritance. You're wearing it. It's staring you in the mirror, but she was taught to fear her, taught that she was inferior, so of course this little dark-skinned girl wanted, wanted to, to be light. This little dark-skinned girl wanted to be light. This little dark-skinned girl wanted to be light, and I looked right at her and I told her, baby girl, light is exactly what you were made of. Yo, what's produced when shooting stars get together and make love? God made us black. That's all the colors of the spectrum. That's why I never disrespect them. That's why I stay checking this bag. I told you, my skin is rich. I got that million dollar melanin. I'm talking about the deep chocolate that the prophets be dreaming about selling in. Every element is elegant, it's effortless, no need for embellishment. I'm posted in the middle of the African flag with my African ass, and I'm so glad about being black. Uh, yeah, hopefully she inspires uh, at the end of this. So where'd you grow up, Caleb? I know South Side of Chicago, right? Actually, no. No? no. Oh, look at me. What so, in my mouth? <laughs> so, um, I was born in Harvey, Illinois. Um, but just born. I was born in Harvey, Harvey Illinois. You know, I was raised in Harvey, Illinois. Yes, you saw I that face that. I gave I you. Face, I was like, what? what? <laughs> <laughs> we saw sisters there. No, I was just born. I was born in Harvey. Um, I lived in Chicago Heights for a little while, but this is all when I was too little to do anything. I also, um, I spent a lot of years in University Park, Illinois. I went to Creed UP. Elementary School. Mm -hmm. And then at about um, nine or ten years old, I moved to Hammond, Indiana. 
Hammond, okay. Indiana. I think I do remember you telling me that. So you're not from the South Side at all. No, not necessarily. Well, my family's from the South Side. Yeah. My mother, my father. Well, my mother's actually from the West Side, but my mother and father met on the South Side. My father's from the South Side. My mother's from the West Side. Now you and grew he up met on the it? South Side. So throughout my childhood, I lived in different places. Yeah. You so, grew up with both your parents in your home? Absolutely. Yeah? Did absolutely. you have any siblings? Yes, I have one sibling. I have a brother. He's 38. He's maybe like two years and nine months um, older than me. Just one sibling. No now, halves, no steps, no nothing. Now, just, when you say absolutely, you 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 make that seem like that's a big deal. That's to have both your like. I think it's. I don't. I don't necessarily know if it's a. I mean, it's a big deal. I feel like you definitely should have both parents. I don't want to negate that. The fact I don't that know you if it's a that. big deal or not. I, I'll say it's it's a staple in my life just because yeah. of what it added. You know, and I a lot of times when people say, "Oh, you grew up with two parents," they you know paint this perfect picture and it totally was not a perfect picture but it was a real picture and so seeing my parents growing up in a two-parent household my parents been married my entire life and been together longer than my life um they still married yeah they're still married what they give me is um realistic hope for marriage you know what I mean not not the fairy tale like I know that it's not going to be perfect Mm -hmm. this has been quite clear but they do give me hope that there are two people that can meet and really not give up on each other. Okay. And even if they do give up on each other, it's not forever. They might give up on each other for a couple months, <laughs> yeah, a couple years. But somehow there's a way for them to come come back to the table. Like my parents, um, they separated um, a few years back for like three years. But <laughs> so funny, even in their separation, they still were together every day. It was like the weirdest thing. And the more I thought about it, it was like, man, like this is not, not his wife or just her husband. Like they're friends, like period. Like friends are friends. Sometimes you, you know, on good terms, sometimes you're on bad terms, but they're friends though at the end of the day. So that's, that's beautiful too. And I think that's something important to understand in all relationships. Uh, I was just watching Jay-Z on that Time interview, did you see that? Mm-mm. He did an uh, interview with Time magazine, and it was like a video. And he talked about him and Kanye and the friction within their relationship. And he was like, that's my boy. Like, we're still good. He was like, we're just having a spat right now. Like, that's right. what friends do. You know, right. you get into these moments where you don't talk for six months. And, you, you know, it's like, you, you know, you dissing each other. But it's it's that's all love. Friend, it's like, that's my boy when it, at the end of the day. And I think that's where a lot of friendships, it's like something goes bad and you're like, oh, hell no. <laughs> they did this. It's over. But it's like, that's not even what friendship, real friendship is. That was fucked up what you did. Right. Let's go grab something to eat. You know what right. I mean? Like that's and that's that's the type of friend that I've I've always been. I've always been the type of friend that like I was mad at you but like I'm not ever not rocking with you no more. Like I I don't even want you to think that. Like I was yeah. upset but like yeah. I tend to you know, I tend to like to resolve things. I don't like to just carry around that. So. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Now you, man, I, I would have thought that just, and this is such an assumption, this is my bad, that you had more of a less structured upbringing based on your work with the inner city kids that you do because you do, you teach workshops and you do different things with inner city kids where you're helping them understand their self-worth. And mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's absolutely true. Um, I'll say this, um, empathy is, is probably my superpower. Okay. My superpower is to, I, um, and it's probably my superpower and like my kryptonite at the same time. 
Um, it's the reason why I have so much compassion for people, but it's also the reason why um, I tend to internalize a lot of people's issues and that becomes negative on a health sense because I'm caring. So it's hard for me to listen to people's stories and not feel literally like it's actually happening to me. And so sometimes I'm kind of like, oh, my God, I wish I didn't have this type of heart because, you know, I, I find myself in pain often. Like I'm listening to somebody and they're telling whatever they're telling and I'm tearing up like, oh, my God, oh, my God. And I know that once they leave, I'm not going to be able to really get rid of it like that because that's just kind of how I'm, I'm wired. But on the other hand, I know so many people that need somebody to care about them in that kind of way, that need somebody to, to, to show empathy. What kind of world would we live in if more people were empathetic and could really look at somebody else and be like, man, I can feel how they're feeling, even if that hasn't happened to me personally. I feel for them, and because I feel for them, I'm, I'm going to treat them in a certain type of way. I'm going to give a little bit of extra love and a little bit of extra care and comfort. So um, I think that... Well, my entire life I've always worked with children. Like and I've that's always kind of been a thing with me. I was like 11 and and there would be like six 6-year-olds sitting on our front porch <laughs> knocking there. on the door. And my mother is like, "What are you doing with these little kids?" But I was taking them to the library teaching them uh the math that I was learning in in 5th and 6th grade. I was teaching it to like 6-year-olds. And when I said teaching it, like literally, I would quiz them. This wasn't them like regurgitating what I said. Like they really got an understanding for it. So I learned very early that I had a knack for teaching. But outside of that, I was combing their hair. I was giving them clothes. I was going up to the school to fight bullies. I just about envision them. you having like all these adopted kids in your house, <laughs> just like <laughs> girl. Is you, at one time now, you know we'll get to that later in the conversation. But at one time, literally, my apartment on 67th and Jeffrey, a studio apartment, became like the underground railroad for misplaced teenagers. Like, I am not joking. Like, to the point where I had a, I had to have a sign-up on the inside of my apartment that said, okay, if you need to stay here, you have to call me by 9. And, like, literally, like, everybody would, would be there at some point or another. I kept running into children that were misplaced at some type of point. Now, what do you think happened or where do you think I don't want to say what happened, but where did that come from? Where did that desire to be that person for young children come from? Did something happen in your teenage years or was your mother a certain type of way or? You know what? I don't, I, you, you know, some things are just in you. And like me gravitating to children has always been in me. I've always felt responsible for children around me or anybody that, I felt in any kind of way could not fend for themselves or could not defend themselves or could not take care of themselves. Mm -hmm. So I've always been a person. I've always been outspoken and, you know, kind so of. So how do you keep money around homeless people? Oh, Lord. Well, see, <laughs> because, I mean, as an adult, I have a, a healthy balance of where that I'm not responsible for everybody. Got you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Younger, you kind of try to be figure it out. Now I understand yeah. I'm not responsible for everybody and. You know, I, I listen to my spirit above all things. So when my spirit tell me to give, I give. And when it don't, I don't. So I don't do, I'm a person, I hate to do anything in genuine. Like if I don't feel like doing it or I don't want to do it, I just don't do it. And telling people no sometimes it's kind of like people are offended, but you would much rather me tell you no or I don't want to do that than to me I'm doing it and now I got an attitude while I'm doing it and the energy is all wrong. Yeah. I like to, I like I like my connections with people to be 
authentic. If I hug you, I hug you because I, I love you and I, I want to show that or I want to transmit that energy to you. But if I don't rock with you, then I don't rock with you. And, you know, I'm not going to cause conflict with you, but I'm not going to keep it fake. So I do it when I move to. Nice. Yeah, I like that. Your poems have a lot of that same power and energy in it of like, this is how I feel. This is how I am. This is what it is. And if you can't rock with that, then so be it. I think some of them. It's have very that. stern. You have very stern. I think some of them have that. I think it's some. It's it's probably a, a large body of work that you haven't heard. That's kind of like I'm very like I said. I'm very transparent. So some of the poems, in some poems, I'm saying things that people are like, "Oh my God, how could you say that in front? I can't even tell my boyfriend that. And you just told the entire world." <laughs> so what I say, they are above any. I see somebody like, "Oh." Best poet, I'm like, I would never call myself the best poet. What I will say is I'm, a, I'm the honest poet. I'm going to say what's real. And sometimes what's real is strong, like you just spoke of. And sometimes what's real is soft and, and kind of weak and, and confused and, and mushy. and Depends you know, on the time of the time Over-emotional of the and, like, what, yeah. too exposing. But, you know what I mean, I feel like, um, you know, as far as my gift of writing is concerned, I have to expose myself because my purpose is to liberate other people. You know what I mean? And and sometimes somebody needs somebody to go first. They need you to say it. And then that makes them feel comfortable with saying it. And that's why with my relationships, with my friendships, with my mentorships, I try to start off with honesty. Let me show you for real who I am. And this is not the Barney version. This is not Disney Channel. This is like, this is, I'm a, I'm a, a human. Now, speaking of that, when you said you need somebody to go first and then the next person will go, that kind of brings me into everything that's going on right now in the media with all of these men that are sexually assaulting women. And it seemed like just that one came out, you know, with the Harvey Weinstein story. And then after that, it's been just a roller coaster of women that have spoke up about it. How do you feel about that whole situation? What do you what do you think that all this coming out could possibly change for women? Well, I feel, <laughs> remember that whole empath thing that I have going on. So when I hear about stories like those, it makes things very conflicting because from an empath standpoint, I feel bad for everybody involved. Yeah. I feel bad for, obviously, the victim off top because nobody should ever have to experience what that feels like. But I also feel bad for the accuser and the predator as well because, I, you know, in my mind I think about how, um, one, people make bad decisions um, that at the moment they might not know how bad of a decision it is and then it comes back to get you. And I've had situations where I've made bad decisions. I, have, I ain't molested or raped anybody, but I've had moments where I've made bad decisions and this come back. And I felt so awful about it. And there, the sad part about it is there's nothing you can do to undo that. Yeah. There's nothing you could do. Um, I think about, you know, teens that, I, that, that I, I've worked with that might be uh, currently incarcerated for doing different things that I'm sure in the moment they didn't think how it was really going to impact their life, somebody else's life. But this is the reality of where they're at. So um, I think about how it feels to be depressed how it feels to be in a, a bad space, um, and how some people don't have the tenacity to deal with that, and they make bad decisions based out of those spaces as well. So I feel a bunch of ways about it. I feel 
it's so unfortunate that any of it happened on any kind of level. And I hate it all. <laughs> I hate I hate it all. It's I like that. Terrible. I mean I mean it wasn't it wasn't your typical answer that people be like, Well, this is what I think. I mean, it was it was really honest, like you said, and raw and that em- empath definitely right. surfaced <laughs> in the middle of that because you had that that soft understanding i want to say for the men as well because i mean at the end of the day it's 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 sad and it's painful for the women but i also feel that same empathy for the men because it's like i fucked up i've done things when i thought even when i thought i was gonna get away with them and i wasn't gonna get caught whatever the fuck it was i was doing i've done it and then when i did get caught not only did I get caught and that was fucked up? But the fact that I was even doing it for so long and I knew it didn't feel right and I knew it didn't feel good every time Ugh, I did it. Girl, and I knew listen. that I, I didn't want to do it, but it's a part Lord. of you that sometimes justifies your behavior on any mm-hmm, level, which mm-hmm. is fucked up. And um, and it hurts people. It does. And it then does. I, I just, I try very hard when I can not to not to sit in the seat of, of really um, harshly judging people mm-hmm. because I'm just a person. And yeah. I like like I said, I might not do that fucked up shit, but oh, I do some fucked up shit. Like, and I fall into to places I would never think that I would fall into, and I have. And so I think at this age, I've I've lived enough life to know that um, I am not above and beyond reproach. I am not um, above doing something that's quote unquote out of character. So, I make, I make it my business to to try not to be in that type of light. How do we forgive these men, though? How do we move forward? You're talking about the person that's abused? Trusting, just in general, just even as a nation, right? We're looking at all these people, all these men that we... Russell Simmons. Hmm. You know what I mean? We We respected Russell Simmons for years, and now we've learned that he potentially penetrated a woman. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, without her, without her consent. And... I've worked with Russell Simmons before, and and so I respect him as a spiritual man, as just a businessman on so many levels, and I got to admit that I'm a little like, whoa, about this whole thing. I don't know how to, it's well, like, how you do you what? move forward? A friend of mine actually posted something on, um, on um, social media the other day about how, to be honest, with, as it pertains to rape, we are now just becoming clear on what that actually is and what um, getting consent from a woman actually means. Right. And I think that some things that happened in uh, a time before now yeah. probably were a result of not being 100% clear on what does it mean to have absolute consent from a woman. Right. Um and I think that so I think part of the issue is the the definition ain't all the way clear. Back in the day, it really wasn't pushed, you know, to to a heavy degree that if a woman is intoxicated and she then says you yes, that yeah. means no. Exactly. You know what I mean? It wasn't yeah. really communicated like that. And so it was kind of one of those things like, well, if she said, yeah, you know, we people are expecting everybody to be able to hold their liquor or be able to function with you know, whatever they decided to take into them into their system and so on and so forth. So I think that how we move forward, um, my, my suggestion is always start with the children. At a very, I'm, I'm an advocate for at a very, very, very early age talking about 
sex with children. Mm -hmm. And the reason why is because I can think back to when I was five or or six uh, humping on couch cushions and (laughs) the arms of couches and baby dolls and whatever (laughs) else because whatever happened that showed me, like, you know, that I am a sexual being. Yeah. Um, So it's not like they're not thinking about it. Like, absolutely. We have to stop acting like sex is abnormal. It's not abnormal. It's, it's not, not weird. It's not nasty. It's not any of those things. It's something that's really a part of life. And so if we start talking about it um, openly with children at a young age, you know, this is how we make it. We can't do nothing with what happened and, and the people that did it already is unfortunate. All we can do is try to, you know, possibly get some coping for the victims, coping for the predator, so on and so forth. But if we start with our babies and having those transparent conversations about like, hey, this is what this is. Let's stop calling them fake names. This uh-huh. is a vagina. This is a penis. You're going to feel these type of feelings. This is what you do with these type of feelings. This is what you don't do with these type of feelings. You're, I, I told somebody else, one of my best friends you know she has a pretty big family and I was saying a lot of children in a family various ages probably from one all the way up to maybe 18 I said well you need to get the entire family together as much as I'll get together sit them down and molestation has to be a open loud conversation I'm sorry open open loud conversation where you're you're addressing it it ain't you know, a quiet in a in a closet kind of conversation. It's a listen. I know that you're going to be feeling these feelings, this, that, or the other. What you cannot do, what won't be tolerated in this family, in this household, is you will not touch your siblings, your cousins, your family. Your you won't touch anybody. That you know, it has to be one of those type of conversations. I don't think we have them enough. I think sometimes we pull our our little ones, you know, to the side to the bathroom. Did so and so touch you? Did they touch you private? Did you? And those conversations are good too. But like, it needs to be like a a, a thing. And I wonder if we can have those conversations if the people that need to actually have the conversations are also victims. And, but because see, that's difficult when you have a victim trying to prevent another person from being a victim. How do you have that conversation if they I haven't faced it? That's healthy, too, because if they were a victim, then they're, they're going to. But I'm saying if them. they haven't faced it, a lot of people that are trying to prevent it don't want it to happen because of how bad it hurt them. And they haven't. You know what I mean? It's not a thing that they talk about. It's just like this happened. I don't want it to happen to you. But they're not saying it in that way. Does that make sense? No, I'm not saying to you, baby, I was molested. I don't want you to be molested. It's more like, I don't want you to be molested because it happens. Well, I think... You see what I'm saying? That's a different conversation. I think for... For, as, as it pertains to talking to the child, I don't I don't think necessary, it's necessary for you to say to the child, I've been molested. I don't think that's 100% necessary because depending on how old the child is that you're talking to, they might, you know, I don't know. And sometimes they might not that. Yeah. Like, oh, mommy, yeah. it happened to mommy. So if it happened to me, you know, she survived it and I should be straight. So I don't necessarily think that. But at another time in their own personal space, just for their own personal development, they do need to address it, you know what I mean, in in whatever way is addressing it for them. You know, different people have different ways of dealing with their own trauma. So, yeah. you know. It's just very interesting. I'm just wondering, you know, and it's, I've never had to deal with workplace harassment sexually or anything like that. And if I did, it was usually just me checking it. Like, this not 
don't yeah. ever say shit to me like that again. But I also think that comes from my type of upbringing. Not everybody comes from that where they can just stand up for themselves and say, this is inappropriate. Or like you said, if it's dealing with alcohol, then obviously and then you're it, not going to be able to protect yourself. It depends on who, you know, who's doing it to you and what context. Like, like I said, it's so many dimensions to being sexually assaulted. Like um, I not so very long ago, um, I had an ex that I, I kept in contact with for years, and, um, you know, he was trying to push it back up on me, you know, in recent times, and I had to have a, a conversation with him about how I felt when we were younger and, you know, we were sexually active. I was like, you know, I have to keep it honest with you, probably about maybe about 87% of the times we had sex, I didn't want to. Oh, wow. And, you know, it's dead silence on the phone. And I'm like, and it's not like you, you know, forcefully raped me or anything like that. But what you did was you pressured me so much that I either was worn down and was like, okay. Or, you know, I did it out of obligation. If this is my boyfriend, if I don't do it, I, I don't want someone else to do it. Or, you know, um, you know, just all the, all the emotions that don't say I am sexually ready to partake in this with you right um i did it out of i want to be held and i want to be cuddled and i want to be touched because i'm a touch person i want to be touched in a non-sexual kind of way um i want innocent affection but i know i can only get to this innocent affection with this particular person if i go through with that first so let me just get this over with and then I feel what that feels like. So, right. you know, and, you know, he was very, very remorseful and was like, man, I can't believe that I made you feel like that. Like, wow. I didn't think that I was making you feel like that. You know, and I don't hold any resentment towards him in present day because I really believe that he did not really believe that he was making right. me feel like that. But, you know, so there's so many dimensions to it. I just think that the best way to go about changing it and how we move forward is start with the children, educate your children at a very young age about that. And then, too, like somebody made a good point. What do they do with these urges? The truth is at, at 12, 13, if you're thinking about sex and, you know, let's say you're a little boy and your penis gets erect, what do you do? Nobody's talking to the children about masturbation. We yeah. all we're acting like that don't happen. Or if it is happening, we're not having a conversation for real about it. We're like, you know, it's like the elephant in the room. But like, should we? Somebody said, should we start having conversations with our children about masturbation? And if we did, would that curve some of the molestation that's happening? Yeah, at age eight, nine, and ten, like when it starts, because I know. Yeah. So like, if you if you if you have a uh, outlet I definitely that's fucked a couple Barbies when I was like eight oh, or nine. I gotta listen. say, <laughs> me and Ken, we got it in. Listen, geez, so this is what I'm saying though. <laughs> this, and, and and you know what? If I'd have never been transparent about seeing that one time, I said in the car full of my homegirls, everybody started confessing. Like, damn, me too, G. I ain't know that people were were scared. They was like, I don't know what to. You know, nobody wants to feel like you're a creep or any of that. Yeah. That's just like being, you know six seven eight playing house with your girlfriend and somebody is the daddy and y'all humping and exactly. all this other stuff. you're like oh my god does that make does that mean that i was gay or you like you, these are the things that are happening in your head but people are so afraid to say something out loud so that they can come to grips with like what this is but you'd be surprised you say it out loud and everybody's like oh my god i just i just didn't know if i if yeah. everything okay like we're all exploring nobody wants to accept that 
That's interesting. All right. Uh, we've talked about this far too long. Uh, yeah, I want to move on. Uh, what is your creative process? What inspires you to write a piece? Oh, man. It's God's work right here, girl. It's God's work. It's God's work right here. Like, I, you know, all poems based off life experiences, and I can't just do it when I want to. I have to be moved. Again, with that genuine thing, I have to be moved. I can't, I'm not the type, I don't I don't like to do it like that. I'm not the type that you give a topic and be like, hey, write a poem about this and then show up over here. I'd be like, I got a poem about this. Does that fit in some type of way? I don't like to to be given a topic to write on command because, like I said, whatever I write, I want it to be genuine. And sometimes it takes me a minute to connect to whatever it is. You don't I'm have feeling. any process, though, any daily process, anything like where you... You get up, you write so many times a day, or you I'm so random. have a window where you write or anything like that? I hate routines. I am so random. Okay. And I like random. I yeah. like it because it's, it's organic. It's real. You know what I mean? So sometimes I'm in a writing place, and I get up and I write. How often sometimes do you write a week? Um, I probably, You know what? Strangely, I probably write something, probably like maybe... Maybe like four or five times a week. Something, something in some type of way, even if it's only a couple of lines or something. Yeah. But outside of just writing poems, I'm writing goals. I'm writing affirmations. I'm writing, you know what I mean? Yeah. That's, words is, you know, one of my love languages. So I'm I'm constantly writing. Constantly writing. So it's more, you do more spiritual work and self-work than you do actual career-driven work, you'd uh, say? They all kind of go together. Okay, the career is the spiritual. It's yeah, all the spiritual, part. that helps to get to that other part. So, I saw, okay, like for instance, I was fasting for, okay, so I started writing this poem um, about a anxiety attacks, okay. um, something that I deal with. And <laughs> it was so hard getting through writing the poem. I started in October because every time I would start writing the poem, I would have an anxiety attack. <sighs> so I was like, damn, how am I going to finish this poem? And so I got to a point where I just couldn't seem to get the end of it. And so I started fasting four days ago um and ironically enough yesterday was the end of the fast and somehow I was able to finish the poem so you know my my work is very spiritual and it comes from a spiritual place and sometimes that's the only thing that can drive it or stunt it yeah so what is your spiritual practice then do you have something daily that you do with that random 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 Random. Spiritual It's it's a it's a combination of all things that feel right to my spirit, I take from everywhere. I have a philosophy that you could take me to the church, the mosque, the corner, the closet. Wherever I go, I'm going to be able to connect with God. And if I can't connect with God, then it's not the place. It's me. If I'm an extension of the creator, then I should be able to connect with God in any way. And I believe that God is the creator of all things. So whatever it is. So even if your practice is worshiping this this statue i believe that god created the statue at right. the end of the day you're still worshiping the the creator anyway and so every religion that i have studied or been a part of i've taken things that felt right to me and i utilize different things at different times and then i'm always open to learning even more right. you know what i mean because at the end of the day i feel like none of us were here when the world was created and we don't know without clarity uh, with clarity and so even the major religions everybody's guessing yeah so i agree with that you know if you're going to believe in um a guess why not your own 
<laughs> very true. So. Did you come up in a very spiritual religious household? You know what? Ironically, I was raised, uh, well, at 12 years old, I brought my family to church. So my auntie was going to a Baptist church, and um, during that time, my, my father was on drugs, and we were kind of having a rough time as a family, and my outlet for dealing with that was going to church with my auntie. And so eventually I started inviting my mother, and once my mother started going with me, eventually my father came, and my brother, and in 94 we got saved, if you will, at the Baptist church. The what your father was on drugs, you said? Mm-hmm. He was what you would call um, a functioning addict. It was a very short bout with, with drugs. Um, and it wasn't, you know, from, uh, now especially since I've worked with youth in places that I've worked with them, I've seen it. It wasn't an extreme thing, but it was still a thing. Yeah. It was a thing that, you know, ca- created some rifts in, you know, our family structure while growing up. And I was super daddy's girl, so... It was really like, um, but from my recollection, it was a probably about a, a three or four year stint. Um, so it was very short. And so I ended up, you know, having my father, my father's been clean for probably about 26 years now. So I ended up having um, a fully functioning father almost my entire life. Yeah. With the exception of about four years. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was your favorite subject in high school? Um... I guess I would say writing. I was going to say, I would, do you think it influenced your career? I always wonder if people, what they did in high school kind of, because me, I was a class clown. I was about to say, that was, that was, I was a class clown. Yeah. I, had, I got in trouble. I was notoriously getting in trouble for having the smartest, smartest mouth. I always had a comeback. I always had a, a something to say. Mm-hmm. I was always correcting the teacher. I was always, like, I was really... I'm I'm pretty much still kind of very assertive, aggressive, um, outspoken, authentic in, in the most uh, inopportune times for school staff. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess writing, I don't think, but the writing part influenced my poetry. I think that because um, we didn't have like a poetry club or anything like that. And I didn't even know that that was a thing. But I did write poetry and say it to my friends and entertain them. So, So how did your poetry influence you doing this work with these young children like or did one influence how did that even come well you about? know i always work with children that that was my first love before poetry yeah remember got i was 11 you. with the kids on the got you and okay then, like, I continued. and so that continued to go on oh, and forever. then poetry came up in it and then poetry came up and i was like oh my god what if i introduced them to this and so got you. at that moment it was like oh my god two things that i'm extremely passionate about are marrying and that was like, oh, my God, this is paradise for my life. Now, do you say that you, you're very assertive and aggressive. And it's, it's so do you find that that interrupts relationships in your life? Like, how do you feel about friendship? How important is friendship to you? Uh, friendship is very important to me. Um, not necessarily uh, in quantity, like having a bunch of friends, but... Having a friend or a few friends is very, very important to me. And so do you ever feel like the, like you said, you have this aggressive nature about yourself. Do you ever feel like that interrupts and or, or intertwines into some of your relationships? Because we talked about that where you have these stints, right? Where people, and I don't know if that was 
how earlier that was in the podcast, but what we talked about, like Jay and Kanye, right? Mm-hmm. Being separated and all of that. So do you find that your friendships tend to deal with some of the tension of your personality? I'll call it that. Well, I think that um, people who befriend me kind of know who I am. They know that this is what and you're some, getting. Some, a lot of times they mirror me, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. uh, on some level. And then a lot of times they, they balance me. Okay. So they already know I'm high energy because just because I am assertive and aggressive, that doesn't, you know, it's just society puts these connotations on certain words. Yeah. But that doesn't mean I'm me. Right. I'm, I'm one, one of the sweetest, you know, let my friends tell I'm one of the sweetest people that you'll ever meet. I'll give you everything and anything that I have, but I am going to give you the truth. Now, what is what is your trigger in life? What is the one thing that happens that just sends you off your rocker where you like, this shit is not okay? <sighs> what sends me off my rocker? Uh, I don't like people with weak integrity. Mm-hmm. So, I don't like being lied to. I, even if it's Whatever it is, I just want you to tell me the truth. So if somebody lie to you, you'll go crazy? Not being a person of your word. not. And when I say that, because everybody makes mistakes, but not having enough gall to come back and be like, you know what, I'm sorry. I know I said I would, but I'm not going to be able to do Like, that's a really big thing to me. Interesting. This is a taking it. This conversation has been interesting um, today. We went on such a tyrant about them. <laughs> the women that took me for a loop i didn't spend on plan on spending so much time on that but it's okay i still have you here and that's amazing um so what is your ultimate goal for your career what do you see well you know what i'm currently doing exactly what i want to do in life i want to continue um because you travel a lot doing poetry i do i want to continue to travel um doing motivational speaking spoken word and write books Write books. I'm currently uh, finishing up my second. That was my next question. Have you ever thought about writing a book? I have. I actually wrote a series of children's books. Cool. Um, And so the book is called, the book that has a bunch of mini books in it is called For Smart Mouth Girls. And it's a book of affirmations, chants, and poems for specifically little black girls. And, um, you know, some of, if you think about, uh, I met my boyfriend at the candy store. He bought me ice cream. He bought me cake. He, he bought, bought me, me home, home with, with a belly ache. Right? <laughs> or if you think about uno, uh, dosiera, said the east, the west. west. That's the beginning of that one, yeah. right? Miss Mary, Mac, Mac, Mac. All, all dressed in black, 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 black. If you think about all of those, or even just the short ones, you could roll your eyes, you could stump your feet, but this black girl you sure can't beat. Like, these were like all sister girl anthems. And you probably learned that when you was about five or six and you're in your 30s and you haven't forgot it, that teaches you that rhythm and rhyme is an important teaching tool when it comes to children. Now imagine if those same rhythms actually had a lesson in them mm-hmm. that you could actually remember. And so that when you got 30 and you said it over again, you say, oh, man, yeah, that's right. I do need to love myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I created a series of chants that do that. Give so me an I, example of one. The I Love Myself chant um, is one of my uh, chants. The first chant that I actually put out there that went viral, um, <laughs> I put it out. I, I thought of it on the way to work, to t- work with some little girls on the west side, and I videoed them and put it on Facebook. And, like, within three hours it went viral. And so now it's being taught all over the world. It's oh, so wow. funny. I met somebody in the U.K. that said that they're teaching that chant. What is the chant? It's called I Love Myself. So how it goes is 
group of girls stand around in a circle, and the first girl jumps in the middle and proclaims, I love myself, and the girls echo her. She loves herself. I mean every single thing. She mean every single thing from the color of my skin, from the color of my skin to my soul energy, to my soul energy. I do my dance like. I do my dance like. I do my, do my, do my, do my, do my dance like. She do a dance like. She do a dance like. She do a, do a, do a, do a, do a dance like. And the next person jumps in. I oh, love so that myself. repetition. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so um, the book is full of chance and affirmation like that. I got one about the chakras. I got one about um, black liberation. I got one about um, um, the chakras, black liberation. I got one about black economics. Um, and it's a hand one about black economics. And it's like, um, uh, I met my sister at the Black Cafe, sipping chai tea and mocha latte, thinking of a master plan, got to put those dollars in black hands. My daddy owned a barbershop, my mama got a hair salon, my granny got a bakery, you know her cookies, the bomb. I might just start a candy store and sell a piece to all my friends. I earn, I save, invest my money, got to put those dollars in black hands. And it's a whole thing. And so um, I had this group of little girls that I work with on Saturdays. I have them come to my house. And I do a program with them called the Princess Program. I turn my second bedroom into a classroom and do this program. And they were my case study for all of these chants and affirmations. I wanted to see if they would have the same effect as those songs had on me. And in their free time, do they they just say, who, I want to do that? And that's exactly what happened. So. That's amazing. So, are they available on like Amazon? Not yet. Not yet. They haven't. They haven't dropped yet. They're going to drop. It's going to be one big book, and it's going to drop. Let me just say, very soon. I don't want to give a date, but very, very soon. Like probably within the next two months. That is amazing. That is amazing. And then you tour Mm -hmm. quite a bit. With that, that's how we met. Yes. Out on the road, out there in them streets. Right. Right. Well, we met at the hair salon. Right. But we met again. At the APCA conference, I couldn't believe it. I was like, what? This girl go to my hair salon, and now we two and a half hours away from there. Right. How did this happen? Right. Um, that's amazing, man. That is amazing. Well, we have the final four questions in four minutes, so I'm going to set the timer right now, and I'm going to ask you four questions, and you have four minutes to answer them. No more or no less. Okay. God damn it. <laughs> I act like these are master question questions. They just... All right. Are you ready? Are you prepared? Because I'm telling you, I'm this, is, this is this is going to go down. I'm ready. You sure? Mm-hmm. All right. Ready? What is the pettiest thing you've ever done in your life? Mm, the pettiest thing I've ever done in my life. Oh, oh, oh. So um, a girl stole one of my lines. Um and, and one out of one of my poems, uh-huh. and um, she came to the porch and she didn't have any remorse. So the next week when I came, I did a whole poem that I wrote about her. Oh, wow. Dissing her. What is that poem? She never came back to Do the porch scene. It didn't even have a, a name to it, but I, I said her name in it and everything. She was sitting right in the front row, and I said it, like, looking directly at her. Oh, my God. That is definitely petty. But you got to call people out for their shit. Listen. Um, if you could ask the universe for one thing that you'd have for the rest of your life, what would it be? It can be an emotion, something tangible like money, anything you want. You'd have it forever, and you wouldn't even have to think about it. Unconditional true love. Unconditional true You don't think you have that? What do you mean? I'm saying you don't think you have that now? Unconditional true love? That's what I would ask for if there, there was one thing that I could ask for. Okay. From somebody else? From just in general. That's 
Now you gonna ask the question to the four minute question and then make I, the that's true. I got it. Interview. Just you sparked other questions when you said that answer, <laughs> and I just this the way that interviewer minds work. I want them questions answered. All right, we're gonna move on. I'll come back to it. Okay, if you could have a conversation with one person, dead or alive, who would it be and why? Mm, it would be my grandmother. Uh, my grandmother didn't. <laughs> my grandmother used to fuss at me all the time. You in that mouth? You in that mouth? And my grandmother passed away before she could actually see me do something fruitful and with that mouth. With that mouth. And yeah. So my grandfather gets to see it, but my grandmother was the one that really, really needed yeah. to see it. So if I could have a conversation with anyone, I have a conversation with her, and I think we have a better understanding when we did than when we when I was a child. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, if you can go back in time and tell your 16-year-old self a bit of advice, what would that be? Mm. Piece of advice, piece of advice they would absolutely oh. need to know in order to be okay in life. What would that be? It's okay to be alone. It's okay to be alone. I like that. It's okay to be alone. It's okay to be alone. It's okay to be alone. And I forgot to ask you. It's it's here, but I for whatever reason I skipped over it. Who are some of your favorite poets and people that you admire and look up to that kind of spark that continuous desire in you to keep writing? Okay, so um, I have some industry uh, famous inspirations, and then I have some personal ones that you might have heard of or you might not have heard of. Industry-wise, I'm more influenced by hip-hop than I am literary authors. So off top, Tupac, Jay-Z, Lauryn Hill, Nas, Eminem are mm-hmm. some of the best writers of, of my time, if, if, I, if I had to say. Um, and so I'm constantly inspired by their work. Outside of them, um, oh, I didn't mention Andy Irie. Let's throw her in there. Too. Oh, my God. You got to love Andy Irie. You got to put her in there. Um, outside of those... Um, I have a mentor. Her name is Dina Dean, and she's a poet from Chicago, and she's been doing poetry since forever, and she kind of grabbed me and took me under her wing. So I always have much respect for her because she definitely influenced me. Her, um, a sister named Celeste, another one of my my mentors slash big sisters when I first started, she was doing poetry, and I I definitely looked at her and was like, I want to do it like that. Um, Outside of them, uh, there are some other authors that just – uh, Harold Green um, is is phenom- a phenomenal poet and just person. Um, uh, who else am I inspired by? Most of my babies. Like, I mentor, like, half of the city of Chicago. And so there's some young writers that are po- prolific. Um, so I just shout out Lyric Squad in total. I just shout out Huey Gang in total. I just shout out all of them, um, the, the babies that go to YCA. I'll just shout them out, like, in a massive number because they are always inspiring me. Um, some of my personal mentees. The timer. <laughs> Even though you was done with the four questions. I was about to say, right, right, right. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's just a bunch of bunch of people that That's amazing. Me. That's beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Kayla, for coming on and sharing this uh, beautiful experience with thank me. Um, and I just have to apologize for spending so much time on that that sexual assault question because I felt like that that question was not the depth of you and I would have preferred to lead into some other stuff but hey <laughs> okay. shit happens because um, <laughs> we got into it I we was like, did. So, wait, so wait a minute you mean <laughs> it turned into a very deep conversation I think it's just because it's so relevant right now it really is it's ridiculous how much of it is in the news and how it's not ridiculous but it's, it's every time you turn around every time somebody else is new to the list the only thing that, that kind of bothers me is like people are so concerned condemning immediately that I just be like like how do you even know if you weren't there like how are you speaking so matter-of-factly about it if you weren't there yeah like how, how are you 
how are you like really like I understand you being like man that's effed up but like people are really like <laughs> people are like no that bitch lying or 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 he he shouldn't and it's like wait a minute you weren't there are reading what the newspaper has to say about this so how how can you be so passionate yeah. about your you know what I mean yeah but I guess like I said you won't you won't hear me um going too hard in any either direction yeah besides healing for people that I hope everybody comes out feeling a lot better about it all. For real. Able to, yeah, yeah. Uh, do you have any dates or anything coming up that people should know about? This will um, drop on the 5th yeah. of December. So um, December 25th, 23rd, I'll be at the oh, promontory. I was say, I'm not coming <laughs> to see you on Christmas. No, I'll be, the, <laughs> I'll be at the promontory doing a show with Harold Green called Flowers for the Living. It's a, a show that's like, man, so many major, like, Chicago artists that are like nice. Promontory is a nice spot too. It's big. February the eighth is my um, annual birthday. Oh, concert there. So February the eighth, my tickets actually today my tickets actually go on sale. Okay. So the tickets are ten dollars. I'm only giving out a hundred tickets for ten dollars, and that'll start today. So about six o'clock p.m. I'm gonna post a link to my social media. But today the flyer went up and the event went live. So nice. Yeah. And nice. it's called unapologetically intimidating. Nice. Nice. Okay. All right. Well, guys, this has been Caleb. You guys can follow her on Facebook. Um, it'd probably be best to follow my personal page on Facebook because that's where most of the followers are, and that's the only place that I can commit to <laughs> updating <laughs> in a timely sense. That is uh, Kendria Harris, K-E-N-D-R-I-A, Caleb Harris. Um, if you type in Caleb Harris, you'll, you'll find me, just the letter K-L-O-V-E. You can also follow my artist page. Um, I have a YouTube channel, Caleb Poetry, um, and Instagram at Caleb the Poet. Nice. Thank you guys for tuning in for this session with K-Love here on Kelly Talks. I've been your host, Kelly Howard. Be sure to check out my website. You already know. I don't have to say it. Or do I? I will. K-E-L-L-Y-E-H-O-W-A-R-D.com. I love you guys, and I'll see you next time. I want to thank our sponsor, She Funny, a platform created to encourage funny women of color to be empowered in their funny by offering various resources and online visibility. And also our friends here at Cards Against Humanity for their hospitality and donated studio space. I appreciate you both.